Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hasn't Dan Andrews done us a favour? He's put the Commonwealth Games out of their misery, not just the 2026 edition, but I think most likely the whole concept of this group of countries, most of them once bound by the apron strings of empire, coming together every four years for a, well, let's face it, a second-rate, mostly irrelevant and increasingly woke sports festival. Now, I like to think I know what I'm talking about with the Commonwealth Games. I've broadcast from seven of them over the years. The first in Brisbane over 40 years ago when they were almost relevant. But that was before the advent of the World Athletics Championships, before team sports significantly increased athlete numbers and consequently upped the price, before para sports gained full medal status, and when the Games were about sports and not pushing political causes. Ironically, the proposed statewide 2026 games were set to become the ultimate political football for dictator Dan in Victoria. You see, he saw the installation of expensive new facilities in various Victorian towns and cities as another way to entice the suckers, I mean, sorry, the voters of the state to put him in power yet again. Hence the nonsensical decision to host cycling at a new velodrome in Bendigo, which had to be built, when there's a world-class one already in Melbourne. There was a new swimming facility planned for Geelong, when Melbourne already has the MSAC in Albert Park. In fact, there was virtually nothing planned for the state capital apart from the opening ceremony, and that's why the cost had ballooned so much. You know, Melbourne is arguably the greatest sports city in the world, with some of the most wonderful facilities imaginable. Yet the Commonwealth Games were headed for the country. It made no sense, unless you understand the pork-barrelling political mind of dictator Dan. But at least he's proved that taking the Games out of one host city is not the panacea that so many had talked about. After all, a countrywide plan was or is being put together for New Zealand to host the Games in 2034. Frankly, I think we should stop that Right now, the games are finished. They were great for their era, but that time is past. But I want to talk about this, and I'm sorry if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Uh, it has not been in my nearly, what, three scores and ten of life experience. It has not been a subject brought up in conversation around the leaner in a New Zealand bar. The question is, do you know any man who sits down to pee? You know, in less enlightened times, back in the 1980s, uh, use of the phrase, he sits down to pee, uh, would often be used in tandem with he dances backwards or funny he never married to hint, uh, with not much subtlety, at male homosexuality. Attitudes towards that subject are, of course, light years removed from back then. So it begs the question, why has research been carried out around the world about whether or not men 
sit down to pee. The usually respected British-based research company YouGov surveyed men in 13 countries to see how many sat down for the act. You may have seen the results when they were published a few weeks ago, and I talked about it on this show as well, but New Zealand was not among the 13 nations, but our mates across the ditch were. Staggeringly, they placed second in the world. A quarter, yes, a remarkable 25% of Aussie males, one in four of them, say they sit down to do number ones. The only country that has more men do it with their pants down are the Germans. In the land where there's even a name for this practice, rather, the Sitzpinklers, YouGov found 40% of German men prefer the bum-on-the-seat method. Now, to those of you who follow world news in trivia, uh, this will not be new information. But as a male, for almost 70 years, I have never, ever heard of such a thing, which leads to my next question. Is this for real? Now, I've been to Australia countless times. Not once has the subject been raised within my earshot. Not once in countless visits to the dunny at countless bars and restaurants have I seen a man take a pee any other way than standing up. Okay, that is completely unscientific and it's anecdotal evidence. But seriously, in, in the lucky country, does a sizable cohort of men really sit down to pee? However, deep in the recesses of my mind, a light has gone off. You know, seldom a day goes by without a report about some transgender issue or another. Activists like Shanil Lal seem to find and take offence week after week about the terrible things that transgender people suffer at the hands of the general population. Shanil Lal writes as if there is an all-out war on trans people and the discrimination against transgender individuals is rife and commonplace. Well, considering that less than 20,000 New Zealand adults identify as transgender or non-binary individuals, that is 0.4% of the population, I suggest the vast majority of us just don't think much at all about transgender issues. If we do, the prevailing attitude is likely to be, well, each to their own. Just don't try it on with biological males expecting to be part of female activity like elite women's sport or using women's changing rooms at public facilities. Yet somehow the Ministry of Education thinks that transgenderism is such an important topic they increased funding for Inside Out Coado which is a charity providing transgender presentations and materials to children as young as 11, from 63,000 in 2021 to 558,000 last year. It's almost as if the Ministry of Education wants children to become gender confused. So, am I drawing a stupidly long bow to think that this research about men sitting down to pee is also about having men think about themselves as women. There's even a piece of research from nearly a decade ago when a German university reckoned that it was healthier for a man to do it sitting down. Now, not knowing much about urology, but a little about the flow of liquid through a hose or a tube, I actually find it hard to believe that a standing pee is less efficient and less healthier than a more constricted sitting pee. 
So again, it comes back to the question, is releasing information about men sitting down to pee part of critical gender theory designed to confuse ever so slightly vulnerable males? Is there an international movement, led by God knows who, to make men identify as women? Or am I just becoming annoyed and grumpy about disproportionate coverage of an issue and lifestyle that in reality involves just a minuscule part of the population? And I tell you what, I am going to stay on staunchly standing up. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. There's an old saying which goes like this. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So why have some Māori become so upset and precious about the Spanish women's football team doing a mock haka a few days ago? What the Spaniards were doing was having a bit of fun. But importantly, at the same time, they were acknowledging which country they were in and paying respect to the culture of this country's original settlers. Nothing more, nothing less. It should have been received in the generous and friendly spirit in which it was meant. But the reaction of the local iwi rangatane was, well, it was almost embarrassing in the offence that was taken. They were going to leave a pofetti unless an apology was received. I mean, do iwi leaders feel so insecure they can't take a compliment? What was even worse was the accusation, quite firmly rejected, that the Dutch team were also disrespecting the haka during a warm-up sequence before training. I mean, does the search for offence know no limits? Every culture, every country has its traditional dances. In Spain... They love to share the flamenco. If a New Zealand football team, or indeed any group of New Zealanders in Spain, was videoed stomping their feet and clicking their fingers above their head, do you honestly believe any Spanish community leaders would be threatening a diplomatic incident the way that Rangatane leaders reacted? And let's not forget one of the most popular episodes of any Dancing with the Stars series is the Pasadoble. It's a wonderful piece of Spanish dance culture given to the world for joy and fun. And when ballroom dancers all around the world do a pasadoble, do you ever hear queries about cultural appropriation? Of course not. Spain is privileged to share its dances with the world, and they don't mind if uh, some of those performing it are not very good and have a laugh about it. Looking at you, Rodney Hyde. Similarly, the Highland Fling and Scottish country dancing has been sent to the world to be enjoyed by thousands of non-Scottish participants. You never, hear, uh, never ever hear complaints about that, not even from uh, the rabid types at the Scottish National Party. What is so wrong with peoples of the world enjoying and appreciating others' dances and cultures? And that's why the offence and victimhood expressed by Iwi to an innocent piece of fun was unnecessary and schoolmaster-like, as if to say, tut-tut, don't do that again, because it upsets us, we are special, and our culture is special, and only for us. I mean, this is a big, joined-up world where modern communications ensure we all know plenty about the way others live, and what are significant aspects of others' culture. 
Iwi should be flattered to the hilt that some uh, Spanish elite athletes want to perform a tiny slither of a haka. It shows that Māori heritage is respected on the other side of the world. The world would have a lot less tension if we all stopped being perpetually offended. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Well, Countdown is going to become Woolworths, or is it Countdown going back to what it used to be? Branding, of course, is that intriguing game, and the change back to Woolworths is invoking a name that virtually every generation of New Zealanders, bar the ones born in the last 15 years, will remember from their younger days. The first Woolies was opened in New Zealand in 1929, an offshoot of the Australian variety store company that was, despite popular misconception, not related at all to the famous American chain F.W. Woolworth, which did pretty much the same thing. Anyway, over the years, Woolworths moved into groceries and through various owners, brands like Food Town, Countdown, Super Value, Fresh Choice, Big Fresh and Price Chopper, all amalgamated in 2002. It was a decision which frankly should not have been allowed by the Commerce Commission because all it did was reduce competition in supermarkets to two companies, foodstuffs and what was then known as Progressive Enterprises. Progressive was bought by Woolworths of Australia for $2.5 billion in 2005. They consolidated their brands and all the big stores were countdowns by the end of 2011. No more Woolworths, no more food towns. Uh, with Super Value and Fresh Choice uh, staying on as the smaller owner franchise stores. Now, a mere 12 years later, and with the country in the grip of a massive uh, grocery inflation era, Woolworths are doing a massive rebrand and refresh of their stores. It seems weird timing, to say the least. But one could be cynical and say that with such a huge capital expenditure, because Woolworths themselves say it's going to be worth about $400 million. The company is more or less guaranteeing they won't be making massive profits for the next few years while the new grocery commissioner gets to work. Hmm, intriguing timing. Now, I don't know about you, but to be honest, my choice of supermarket is never driven by brand or by advertising. I just go to the one that's nearest to where I am. All right, some correspondence has come in through inbox at realitycheck.radio. Let me share some of it with you. This is from Mike in Foxton. Peter, I'm just listening to a replay of you interviewing Judith Collins, and I'm really finding it hard to swallow. She says that she wants to tweak the genetics to help cure cancer. I'm calling BS on that. The medics, the oncologists or big pharma don't want to cure cancer because there is way too much money in it for them. If I had anything to do with curing cancer, I would be teaching people about diet and exercise from birth and the issues we have with chemicals we put into our bodies from birth. The next thing I would do is have an audit of the Breast Cancer Society and find out how much money has been thrown at that since its inception here in New Zealand, but not only government money, but as donations from the public. I know from experience that the money there could now be spent in much better ways. I think that more than 50% of it 
in so-called expenditure is on wages. I thought this was a charity. Very little is spent on the people that need help. Judith has also mentioned that the tech has moved on so significantly, and the example she gave was just ridiculous. It was never, ever about changing oranges into tomatoes. It was always about money for the elite. She is only worried about catching up with the Aussies and more money for themselves. Just remember the old joke, Peter. How do you know a politician is lying? Because their lips are moving. That's my rant, and I will never vote for any of these old pollies because they change their stance as soon as public opinion changes to suit themselves. Cheers, Mike from Foxton. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Yes, that is uh, quite a rant. That is an old line about the politician's lips moving. Uh, But I get where you're coming coming from when you say that uh, politicians change their stance with the public opinion. It would be nice to have what we used to call conviction politicians once again in this country. Uh, But I suspect that those people are things of the past because there are way too many career politicians these days, people who go into it for a a long-term job. Uh, Look at the current Labour Party. Uh, This has come from Lou. Uh, Lou writes, and this is uh, somewhat confusing, I have to say, but I'll share it with you anyway. I never noticed Peter before now, but he's interesting. Uh, Thank you. I respect his decision to leave his previous boring job. I have been treated like dirt by some people working for the New Zealand health system, and there is no accountability. It is impossible to get a claim for a treatment injury, either produced or accepted, and it is really disturbing to be injured by both the phlebotomist and a hospital doctor and physio who submitted a false ACC claim in order to get paid. ACC accepted the false claim in which my injury was reported as happening in prison as a prison inmate. I'd have to go to Australia to get my injuries properly assessed and treated. My complaints have fallen on flat ears. Uh, Louise, that is a very confusing uh, letter, to be perfectly honest. Maybe you could send in another one uh, and just explain the circumstances a little more clearly set out exactly what has happened to you. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, you may have tried to read the very long feature on Chris Hipkins in the New Zealand Herald yesterday. Uh, To be honest, it came very close to making the TLDR category. Too long, didn't read. But one part of it I was fascinated by was about his mother, Rose Hipkins. She's obviously a smart and highly educated woman, very woke, originally a science teacher, but she's now a senior researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research. Its number one strategic priority, according to uh, its website, is, quote, decolonizing education. Mrs. Hipkins has been involved in the development of the school curriculum refresh in recent years, this while her son was the Minister of Education. As an aside, uh, she was awarded uh, a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit in the 2019 New Year's Honours for Services to Education. This is while her son was both the Minister of Education and on the Honours Committee that approved the list. Very cosy, isn't it? Very cosy. 
Now, part of the curriculum refresh is this new way of teaching science, whereby the building blocks of chemistry and physics and biology are missing from the curriculum, while concepts are explored, which require knowledge of those building blocks. Science is also to include many aspects of Matauranga Māori, much of which is more spiritual in nature than that discovered through scientific method. So I was amused to read that Rose Hipkins was reported in this long story as having been a regular church attender as a child, but she gave up religious activity once she started studying science and understood evolution. So, she knows about real science, but is the new way of teaching the subject going to impart as much knowledge as she has and provide the students with the ability to distinguish between the real and the not-so-real in this world. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. A little bit more correspondence, which has come into inbox at realitycheck.radio. This is from Vicky. I heard Peter say on a replay today that he didn't know if Luxon, as in the leader of the opposition, if Luxon supported the WEF, World Economic Forum. Given Luxon's actions and non-actions so far, I'd say there's a pretty good chance that he does. Pete said something like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and address it later if he turns out to be part of the WEF. This is really dangerous. It will be too late if he becomes our next Prime Minister. Why can't he give a clear answer now, as it's a subject of great concern to many of us? Replacing Labour with a party that appears to think along similar lines is not what we need, in my opinion. Meanwhile, I'm enjoying the variety of shows that RCR offers. Keep up the good work. Thank you for that, Vicky. Thank you for expressing your concerns. I have to say, I don't share them in full. Now, this has uh, come in from Alan Jones, and he writes, Mr. Williams, I heard this morning RCR extracts from this week, amongst which was your mention of the appalling gay pride bullying by a couple of students or of a couple of students at Mount Aspiring College in Wanaka, uh, the bullying by the teachers there. Thanks for calling out this vile leadership, which you put in quotation marks. I thought you might be interested to know about almost identical bullying that occurred at St. Mary's Catholic College in Wellington. Again, the Catholic in quotation marks, uh, where two of my granddaughters attend. One granddaughter wrote an email to the principal, signed by another half dozen or so students, expressing opposition to the celebration of the sodomite lifestyle at the college. The students were summoned to a meeting with the Director of Religious Studies where they were harangued and were given a letter addressed to the college's SAGE group by your teachers. Now, I don't know what SAGE, S-A-G-E, stands for, but I suspect it's a group that uh, supports the concept of a Pride Week at uh, St. Mary's College. Anyway, I digress. The letter, Mr. Jones continues, the letter congratulated the SAGE group for being wonderful, fabulous, courageous, etc., and condemned opponents of gay pride as cruel, exclusive, and judgmental. At least one of these half dozen or so students was reduced to tears and found herself having to go home. 
parents of these courageous girls plan to call for a meeting with the school principal as soon as possible. Now that the school holidays have ended. Meanwhile, I've sent an email to the principal, the deputy principal, and the director of religious studies. And Alan Jones has then included his very long email uh, to the leaders at St. Mary's College. St. Mary's College is, or was, a Catholic school. I presume that most of uh, the students there are Catholic. It is also integrated, so it can accept a good deal of uh, non-Catholic students. It is not run anymore, of course, as integrated schools are not these days, uh, by nuns and priests. Every teacher is a lay teacher, so it is, I guess you would say, Catholic in name only. But it is still, considering its location very close to uh, the Wellington Catholic Cathedral and to the home of the Cardinal, uh, it is intriguing that they do celebrate a gay pride week and that students who object in it would seem the nicest possible way through a respectful letter to the principal then get harangued by the director of religious studies for being cruel, exclusive and judgmental uh, when they are only trying to express an opinion and the school says it likes to be inclusive. I would have thought being inclusive means that you also include those who object and who do not like the celebration of the gay lifestyle. Thank you for your letter, Alan Jones. You may wish to get back in touch with me after you've had some response to your email from uh, the senior management, the senior leadership at St. Mary's College. Uh, your correspondence is most welcome. On that and indeed any subject at inbox at realitycheck.radio, my text is 2057. Let's talk about more made-up victimhood and perceived offence, this time at a petrol station in Keddy Keddy in Northland. So this guy called Kawiti Jack Waitford, he's an opera singer. He claims that he was racially profiled at a petrol station because he had to prepay for his fuel while what he calls a well-dressed Pakiha lady in a flash truck was allowed to fill up first and then pay. Mr. Waitford claims he was shown disrespect, so he did what all the perpetually offended do. He took to Facebook to complain. He says, with absolutely nothing more than his hurty feelings to go on, he says that he was racially profiled and discriminated against. Not surprisingly, the owner of Keltex Kitty Kitty is highly annoyed. Vasanthia Wallalavita says all his pumps are on prepay to stop ratbag drivers doing a runner after filling up. The so-called well-dressed Pakiha lady in a flash truck was, according to the owner, a regular customer. Therefore, her pump was released because she was known to the staff. Uh, by the way, Mr. Waitford, by describing the other customer in such a way, aren't you doing just a little bit of racial profiling yourself? Anyway, there's even a sign on the pumps at this petrol station that says they're on prepay. So frankly, it's a pathetic complaint. But who is teaching people like Kawiti Jack Waitford to be so precious? 
to feel every perceived little slight against them is because of their Māori heritage. This guy's Facebook post has seriously upset a staff member at the Caltech service station. Someone who has worked there for six years has upset this person so much that he's got on stress leave because of the insult he received from Kawiti Jack Waitford. If the opera singer had any character and courage, he would delete that Facebook post. He would return to that service station and apologise for the distress he has caused to someone through an out-and-out insult. Now, business operators have a hard enough task preventing crime as it is. They don't need nonsensical accusations from arrogant people who just feel things like non-existent racial profiling. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. There's a fascinating bit of dithering going on in the office of the Land Information Minister, Damien O'Connor. This is over changing the name of a place back to its original Māori name, except that this is no ordinary place we're talking about. It's the first permanent European settlement and port in the country, and it's closely connected to New Zealand's first ever capital. After the signing of the treaty in 1840, William Hobson thought about using Kororareka on the other side of the Bay of Islands from Waitangi as the colony's new capital. But he found the place was too lawless because of the drinking and the fighting and the prostitution. So he went eight kilometres along the road to a place called Okiato, which is where these days you get off the car ferry from Opua. Hobson renamed Okiato as Russell after a British politician. And that's where the colony's first capital was established. But the capital was only in Russell a couple of years before being transferred down to Auckland for reasons of practicality. Uh, Then what was there at Okiato, or Russell, was burnt down. So the name Russell came into common usage back along the road at Kororareka, where it has been for 180 years. Now there's a move to officially change it back to Kororareka. And frankly, why not? Why not? The town, after all, is an integral part of New Zealand history. Even in South Island primary schools where I went in the 1960s, we were all taught about how Hone Heki cut down the flagpole there because he didn't like the British, and about the Battle of Kororareka. The name Kororareka has been taught in school history classes in this country forever. It's a familiar name, and it is the genuine and historic name of a settlement that was there before and after the British arrived. So I don't know why Damien O'Connor is prevaricating. This is an easy decision. And after a while, it's not even that hard to say. Koro Rareka. Let's do it. Thank you for your company this afternoon here on Reality Check Radio. If you'd like to get in touch, my address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text is 2057. I look forward to being back with you on Friday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio.
Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.